Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Amen. Man, it's already been a good day, huh? So, so good. I wrote this down and I want to I want to jump in this morning um, and, and actually this afternoon. It's 12 o'clock. I want to jump in this afternoon and um, I really want to spend quite a bit of time just in a in three different passages of scripture, and I want to make sure that we give ample time there, but I do want to share this, and I want this to become the starting point for how we will engage with the word of the Lord this morning. I wrote down, the degree to which you can surrender becomes your, the measure by which you encounter. The degree to which you can surrender becomes the measure by which you encounter. I grew up in a encounter-driven denomination. I grew up in a denomination called the Assemblies of God, and uh, we're Pentecostal. How many Pentecostals in the house? Uh, so, okay, we got a few of us. You know, we're the wild ones. You know what I'm saying? We're like, we have like revival meetings, prayer meetings. If you showed up for a Sunday night service, you might be there till 1 a.m. if you're not careful. That, I mean, this is the type of environment that I grew up in. So I grew up in a very um, encounter-driven environment. And I, let me say this, I love, I love, I so deeply cherish that about my upbringing. And if I am being honest, those are still the types of moments that I desire in my life. There's still the types of moments that I desire in my life. I'm talking about that. Wrestle with God like Jacob until you get a touch from the Lord. I'm talking about prayer meetings that last till 2 a.m. because, because you ju- you're seeking fervently something that the Lord might want to say or impart inside of you. And I, as I was reflecting on this environment for one, but also just my desire in present day to encounter the Lord in these types of ways, I just became really aware that the level to which I can surrender actually points to the, my ability to steward well an encounter with the presence of God. I believe in encounters. I believe in momentary encounters. I believe in in immediate deliverance. I believe in being set free. I believe in being healed. Many of these things have happened to me in my own personal life through prayer and these momentary exchanges. But actually, my ability to steward those moments is called surrender. So the level to which you can surrender is actually the degree to which you can encounter the presence of God. And so this morning, my question is simple as we dive in. How much and how quick are you willing to surrender to Jesus? I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm not just talking about engaging in a prayer where now you're made right with him and you can inhabit heaven one day. I'm actually talking about daily sacrificial surrender where it's not my will, God, but it's actually yours. Yeah. Lord, we love you. And this morning, we are a people that are pursuing an encounter with you. If that's you, say amen. Amen. We are a people pursuing an encounter with you. We don't want to just come and hear a word, but Father, we actually want to touch the hem of your garment. Lord, the reality is this. We've got hurts. We've got pains. We've got dilemmas. We've got situations. We've got this little thing called life we have to deal with. And Lord, short of your presence, 
short of an encounter, short of a momentary encounter with your presence, God, is it really worth it? (laughs) And Father, I know this, that you meet us in moments. You meet us in moments that change us, that mark us, that uniquely and strategically position us in a place where we not only have what it takes for this next chapter, but Lord, we become more than conquerors. Lord, we can actually step up in faith. We can actually step up and step up to the plate and we can actually deliver, stand and deliver with confidence and with boldness and ferocity and tenacity. Why? Not because of my faith. Lord, my hope is not that I chased you. My hope is that you chased me. And so Lord, we just place our faith in an encounter with you this morning and we trust that you're gonna meet us here. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Um, I'm a little raspy this morning, so bear with me. I'm going to try not to scream so that I can preach all the way through this thing, all right? So go with me here. Uh, We're going to read in three places this morning. If you want to go ahead and mark your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, and then 2 Peter chapter 1. One more time. We're going to start in John chapter 1. And then we'll move to Luke chapter 5. And then we're going to move to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation all day. Um, It'll also be up on the screen uh, that you can follow along there. But let's dive into John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. All right. So before I read verse 35, I said let's jump in, and then I like pulled the brake. Sorry about that. Uh, So let me me set this scene a little bit here. So, So verse 35 says, the following day, John was again, right? I want to set the scene a little bit. So the following day, what happened the previous day? What happened the previous day is John the Baptist baptized Jesus. So that's where we are in this story. Jesus shows up as John is baptizing people. And John's mission, his law in life, the purpose for which he existed was to pave the way and to make straight the path for Jesus. So that whenever Jesus came through John's message, people could receive him as the Messiah. Not just another prophet, not just another good dude with a good message on good terms with God. No, the Messiah. King Jesus, who has come to change everything, to abolish the law, to establish grace, and to establish his rule and reign. So that's what John's mission was. So this is immediately after. Now, what happened whenever John baptized Jesus is a dove came down from heaven and rested itself on Jesus, right? And then you hear the voice of God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it was in that moment that John the Baptist cousins of Jesus recognized the authority of this man that he was baptizing, that this truly was the Messiah. Amen. That's where we're going to jump in in verse 35. So the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the lamb of God. How many of you know, whenever you have an encounter with the Lord, Sometimes it just like spills over. And it's like, I I just imagine John is standing here with his disciples, Andrew being one of them, and then there's another unnamed disciple. Jesus walks by, and John just like can't help himself, and he goes, this, that's the son of God. 
Like there is spillover, there is bleed over once you've had an encounter with the presence of God, such as John had. He baptizes Jesus. He hears the voice of God. Then here comes lonesome dove and lands on Jesus. Now he knows that it's the Messiah. There is spillover and there is evidence, not only in a moment, but in moments that trickle after the initial momentary encounter with Jesus. And that's where we are living. When John's two disciples heard this, verse 37, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and he saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, get this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said, then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, actually I'm going to pause right here. I want to make a couple of quick observations. One, John the Baptist knew what his role in life was. He knew what he was supposed to be doing, that he was crying out like a voice in the wilderness, making straight the path for Jesus to come. And I find it very interesting, and this is, this is just a little something that I gathered from this, is that John had the ability in his understanding of his assignment from heaven to hold people lightly. Because what happens whenever Jesus walks by, he says, that is the son of God, that is the son of man. And what happens? His two disciples who have followed him all of a sudden are no longer following John the Baptist. But they actually turn and they begin to follow Jesus. I wonder if you know, I wonder if we know with such conviction from heaven above what our role in this life is, that the people that we hold closest and dearest who have savored every word and walked with us and been disciples of us, that if Jesus himself walked by or if another season comes by and it's time for transition, can you hold people lightly and say, it's time? Verse 42 then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which translates to Peter, defined as the rock. And we know Peter as the rock upon which the church is built. There are several things I want to make note of here before we move on to Luke chapter 5. First of which is that is that John had the ability because of, because of his comfortability and his skin given to him by heaven because of an assignment that was greater than himself that whenever Jesus himself walked by, he reluctantly gave everything that he had built. He reluctantly gave these men that he had invested his life into, reluctantly and willingly laid them down. Why? So that they too can find purpose in life through Jesus Christ the Messiah. The second thing I observe, the second thing I observe is that Simon, the rock upon which the church is built, later becomes Peter, we'll get there. He was invited into the room. It was not Simon's faith that placed him in the room. It was Andrew's invitation 
that place Simon in the room. So I present to you this, regardless how you find yourself in this room of faith-filled people, spiritual family, people who are hungering and thirsting after the Lord, I don't care how you got in the room, if it was your faith or if it was your mama dragging you by your ear or an invitation from a friend, I'm telling you, you're here not by accident, but you're actually here on purpose. Andrew's faith was enough for Jesus. Andrew's faith was enough to get Simon into the room so that Simon could receive a prophetic word that says, hey, right now you're called Cephas, but one day you will be called Peter. Or I'm sorry, right now you were called Simon, but one day you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. I love, I love the sincerity of Jesus in this moment that he acknowledges that Simon is here on a little bit of speculation Simon got invited into the room because his brother Andrew invited him. You have to imagine that Simon has at least heard some stories of Jesus, right? Jesus is alive. He's about 30 years old. He's heard some stories of this guy. He's certainly heard the prophetic words because he's like running in this, in this vein with John and Andrew. But he gets invited into the room. And so Jesus kindly looks into Simon's eyes and he says, hey, let me just meet you where you are. I know you've got some speculations. I know you've probably got a thousand questions, but let me just tell you this. Right now you're called Simon, but one day you'll be called Peter. I believe that there's even people in the room that the Lord has gently and kindly wooed into this place to say, hey, I know the evidence of your life isn't exactly what you had hoped or thought it would be, but I'm speaking a better word over you. Yeah, come on, the Lord is speaking a better word over you. That's actually what he does in his nature. That's what he does is he draws you in, whether through your own faith, the faith of an ally, the tears of a, of a praying mom. He draws you in. He woos you in. Why? Not to just bring like repentance and hellfire and brimstone. And all this. There's time and there's a place for that. His name was John the Baptist. There's time and place for that. But Jesus, Jesus kindly tells him, hey, you'll see. You'll see. Let's read Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So this is, uh, we're, we're about to read about the second encounter of Simon with this Jesus. Prophesied to be the Messiah, spoken of as the Messiah by John the Baptist, the close ally of Andrew, and now the close ally of Peter himself. This is the second encounter, and it says this in verse 1. One day as Jesus was praying on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Jesus is gaining notoriety. He's gaining notoriety. He's building crowds. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. The day is over. Verse three, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out there. Oh, I'm sorry. He said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now listen to verse five. Listen to the, to the way uh, Simon addresses Jesus. He says, master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. 
But, I love this pivot, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. Verse 7, a shout for help brought their partners into the boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter, get that, Simon Peter realized what had happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. What journey has Jesus had you on? You see, for Simon, it started in a room where he sat across the table and he said, you're here on speculation, you're here with questions. Right now you're Simon, but you will be called Peter. And then you fast forward just a day, maybe two, the timeline is ill-defined. And then he finds himself on the shore of Galilee. And who does he see? He sees Simon. This man that he had given a prophetic word to. So what does he do? Once again, he meets Simon right where he is. He says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Come on, the Lord is wooing you in through your daily activity, through his kindness and his sincerity. And he brings him in. And so he's sitting in Peter's boat. Can you imagine being Peter, anchor down, sitting there? Jesus asked to borrow my boat. I guess you say yes. I don't know. It's... So he's sitting there listening to Jesus. I can only imagine what the message was. He formed a crowd. And it was then and only then after two extensions of kindness and mercy and sincerity and authenticity that Jesus performed a miracle in a moment that would transform Simon to a Peter. Come on, what journey has the Lord had you on? What journey has the Lord had you on? Has he been wooing you in? Has he been speaking softly? Do you have this reminiscing like thought? Do you have this recollection of a word spoken years ago that the father said to you, I believe that the father is now posturing your heart as well. I think that the days are coming where it's just gonna be increasingly more and it's going to be rapid. But I, genu I genuinely feel like the Lord is now performing miracles and he's going to have impartations in your life that transform things from, yeah, I once heard that you were the Messiah to, yeah, now I know you're the Messiah and I've got to leave everything and do exactly what you say because there's no alternative. This has been the journey of Peter. And it was this moment on that we no longer read of Simon, but we read of Peter. It wasn't the prophetic word. It was the fulfillment of Simon realizing that he truly was the Messiah. I want, to, I want to take some time and talk about moments this morning. You see, this transformation in Peter happened through an encounter, a moment. I believe that we are supposed to be people that pursue moments, pursue encounters. It can get really easy to get lost in the day-to-day, -day, the mundane, the day-in, the day-out, the wake-up, the tell-your-kids-to-brush-your-teeth, have an argument with your six-year-old son about the importance of brushing your teeth, and then you get like, it's, it's like, it could get, like it could get into this cycle where it just is mundane, and then you go to sleep, and 
You've spent some time with the Lord, but you didn't have this like revelatory moment necessarily that changed everything. Thus, the importance of these moments like Peter experienced in the boat. We should be a people that are pursuing moments because it is the accrual of those moments that we can look back at and say, oh, God, I remember when you did. I remember, I remember whenever I was, I was playing basketball at youth camp, and I came down and collided, and it broke my ribs, and then we prayed, and then all of a sudden it was just gone, and I could breathe better. I remember being 13 years old and being in an altar at Maranatha Assemblies of God and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember, I remember moment after moment. I remember being at a Promise Keepers rally in 2021 where I wasn't highly expectant, but I was able to borrow my dad's faith, which put me in a room, which positioned me for an encounter with the Lord that I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for. It is the accrual of these moments, putting yourself in position to experience moments that not just helps us survive the mundane every day, but instead builds faith for what could happen today. What could happen in this moment? We should be a people in pursuit of moments. I don't want to come into an environment and not be hungry for a move of God. I don't want to look up six months from now and be like, when was the last time that the Lord touched my heart and marked me? I don't want to look up six weeks from now and think that. I don't want to look up six days from now. Moment by hour, moment by moment, hour by hour. Oh, Holy Spirit, how we need you. Oh, Holy Spirit, how we need you. That you would guide us into, in, into momentary encounters that actually shape our everyday experience, God. Let us be a people who pursue moments and experience you moment to moment, God. That's what we want to be, Jesus. Mm. Now, we all know Peter. If you've, if, you've, if you've been in this walk with the Lord any amount of time at all, you've probably, heard, you've probably heard Peter as a negative example in some times, right? Peter had a way of, uh, he was dumb times, okay, times. I think if Peter, uh, and this is Peter, right, had this momentary encounter with the Lord in a boat, changed his life, dropped everything, followed him. This is the same Peter that uh, chopped the guard's ear off in the garden, Thank you, Peter. Um, this is Peter who, when Jesus told him, hey, you're going you're gonna to deny me. And not only once, but you're actually going to deny me three times by the time the rooster crows. He's like, mm-mm. You got me confused with Judas. I ain't me. Uh, spoiler, he did it. He denied him. This is Peter who pops off periodically and just says the wrong thing. Forget the whole context of the story, but like they're up on a mountain and God is doing incredible things, and they're like standing in awe. And Peter goes, surely we should build an altar. And it's like, shut up, dude. Just be in the moment, guy. This is Peter, man. I think that for Peter, it'd be very easy in his journey. He has this revelatory moment in a boat where things change for him. It's no longer speculation. All of his questions are answered and he drops everything to follow Jesus. I think it'd be easy for Peter and those stories I referenced and then dozens more to just wonder, did I miss it? Why am I still the way I am? Why are you the way you are? I just wonder, like, if there was moments in Peter's life where he's like, I, I got my life was changed. Why am I still doing this stuff? What? 
I, I had this moment where the Lord changed me, even literally changed my name. Why can't I just shut my mouth in moments? I had this moment where he changed my name and he chose me to build his church. And I, I'm like whacking guys ears off in the garden. Like I'm, you have to wonder, like, was there moments in Peter's life where he actually wondered, like, is it me? Like, did I miss it? What happened? Was that moment real? The ongoing refinement process of discipleship and sanctification in no way whatsoever diminishes the significant impact or the lasting potency of a moment with Jesus. That moment was real. The moment was, guys, when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was real. When you received that prophetic word and you were like, oh, like, well, that was real. Just because you don't feel it in your everyday existence, let me just affirm you in this. It was real. Momentary encounters and experiences with the presence of God are designed to encourage or to challenge the trajectory that we are on. Let us not slip into this slippery uh, slope of wondering. Like, yeah, God, it felt good in the, in the room, but like the music was loud and the, everybody else was doing it. I, maybe it was just me. Maybe it was emotionalism. No, I'm telling you it was real. I'm telling you it was real. I'm telling you it was real. And it's experiencing those moments not just once to last you a lifetime, but once maybe to last you the next three days that stack up yeah. to the point where now, just like Peter has this experience, you say, there's... There's actually nothing that anybody could say to try to convince me of that would diminish the experience that I've had in the presence of a living Jesus. He's real. He's real. Peter gave us the tools. I love this. This is, this is about, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 years after. 60, 70 years after Jesus has died and he's rose again and he's ascended into heaven, we still have Peter. So Peter writes and he reflects. Yeah, this is a, uh, we're gonna read 2 Peter chapter one, but this is, this is really just a reflection. This is Peter reflecting on one of his best friends, Jesus. Let's read verse 12. This is Peter giving us the tools to live a resilient life of spiritual formation. It says this. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For only our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. 
So I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things after I am gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Come on, don't you hear him saying, I saw it. He was in my boat. <laughs> he called me off the this, off this shore of Galilee. He said my name. And then it says in verse 17, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic, majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Man, someone bring me a tissue, please. I'm about to... Thank you. I appreciate that. God, so much more than a story for him. Don't you hear the sincerity? This is 70 years after Jesus is gone, and he's still living in the revelation of one day on a boat. Come on, we should be people that pursue encounters with Jesus. I just want to know him more. I just want to feel him deeper. One of my favorite things that Peter says, uh, I don't know where exactly, first or second Peter, but he says something to the effect of, um, um, I remember to never forget. Doesn't that sound interesting? I remember to never forget. This means that he's not leaving his recollection of encounters with the Lord to chance. No, he's actually putting it in his calendar to remember to never forget. You wanna know what spiritual formation and resilience looks like in a lifestyle of Christianity? It's remembering to never forget. I've got a weekly reminder, uh, a couple times a week, I get a reminder that goes off in my phone to text my wife how much I love her. I tell her I love her every day, but there's something, there's something inside of you that's endeared to those you love the most that you just want to make sure that you never forget and that they never forget. I consecrate the majority of my prayer life just to remembering what the Lord has already said about me, what the Lord has promised he would do for me, because I will remember to never forget what the Lord has done. This is sustained revival, friends. Remembering what the Lord has done. You wanna stay alive? You don't wanna ride the highs and lows? Just remember to not forget. Remember to not forget. As we prepare to wrap up, I just wanna share a couple quick things with you. Are y'all good? I just want to share a couple quick things with you this morning. It is not morning. It is afternoon. Sorry. I believe that there were two things that happened in Peter's encounter. There was this, there was this expression and extension from the father's heart to Peter. That was his name changed. It was you're no longer Simon. You are now Peter. That's something only God can do. 
But there was this also, there was also this transition in Peter's reverence to Jesus that he was no longer just an optional follow that he had some skepticism towards, but he was actually the Lord of his life. And I just wanna dissect it for a moment. From him to us, what happened from Jesus to Peter in Luke 5, verse two, it, it, it points to the fact that Jesus noticed, he noticed Simon on the shore of Galilee. He noticed him. I want you just to feel the weight and the power of being noticed. The Lord sees you in your, the Lord sees you in your season. He, he notices you. And then in verse four of chapter five, it says that he instructed him. He gave him words to live by because he's not just gonna observe you in your funk. He's not just gonna observe you in your success and just leave you be. No, he's gonna give you next steps. And then the third thing is he actually invited him. I love that Peter didn't have the words to articulate what Jesus had done in his life. Jesus has now like done this incredible miracle and Peter has observed like, oh my gosh, it's, you're the Messiah. It's John said it, but it's true. And now I've experienced it. So he has this experience in a boat and Peter's first response that we read is not like, I owe you everything now. I'm gonna follow you. His response was, please leave me. I'm not good enough, please leave. Like, I'm not. He, he realized how unqualified he was. He realized how messed up he was. He realized his sin nature in his, in his unwholehearted, uninitiated self. He realized all of the deficiencies and delinquencies in his life. So he said, please leave, please leave. I'm not good enough, please leave. And instead Jesus says, no, come with me. I'm gonna make you fishers and men. So as we push Jesus away, his only response is to draw us closer. As we push Jesus away, his only response is to draw us closer. And this is what happened in that momentary exchange. As Jesus leaned into Peter, because encounters with the Lord are intended to confirm or correct the current path that we are on. Hmm. Moments of transformation give way to the extended process of spiritual formation. Second thing, this is Peter's heart position. This is his change. See, Peter was Simon at the time. He was actually just stewarding a word that he got from the Messiah. Hey, one day, you're, right now you're called Simon, but one day you'll be called Cephas. So where was Simon found? He was found on the shores of Galilee, right where Jesus was. That's not circumstantial. That's not coincidental. See, Simon was positioning himself in a place where he could actually be found in the presence of God to be transformed forever. In Luke chapter five, verse four and five, it says this. We're gonna contrast two words. The words are master and Lord. So it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And then verse five says, master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch anything. In other words, I'm the, like, hey, I'm, I'm the fisherman here, okay? We fished all last night, we ain't catching nothing. But then he says, but 
if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. So this implies, this implies that Jesus had, that Jesus actually had a certain level of delegated, delegated authority in Simon's life. Hey, I disagree. We fished all last night. We've tried this, been there, done that. But because you said so, I'm gonna do it. Master, the Hebrew word for master, um, epistates, I tried. It's pretty close. It actually translates to commander or overseer. So reading it in context, verse five says, commander, overseer. Simon replied, we worked hard all last night, but didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Let's contrast Luke chapter five, verse eight. This is after the miracle happened, the nets have torn, and now he sees him as the Messiah. Luke 5, eight says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. The Hebrew word utilized in, in this context is kuros, Properly, a person exercising absolute ownership rights. Absolute ownership rights. So that means that we have made this transition from, okay, master commander. Okay, master commander. Okay, overseer commander. I'll do what you say because you said it. But I've still got an exit route that is my knowledge, my authority in this area. I've still got an exit route to now he's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And now there's no retreat because Jesus is the absolute owner of my life. So my question is simply this, like, what are the areas of your life where you're still viewing Jesus as master? This is conditional surrender. We fished all night, but because you said it, we'll do it. Okay, okay. I trust Andrew, my brother, who brought me to you. Okay, let's do it. Contrast that with this experience that he has. Now there's a miracle. And now Peter has nothing to do but just say, like, I, I don't own me anymore. You, you say it, I'll do it. There's no escape plan. There's no backup. There's no plan B. There's, you are it. Well, God is calling you back to the commitment that you made when you said you are it. Come on, burn the bridges. There's no retreat. There's no kicking the pressure valve. Lord, you are it. Comfortability, you can have it. <laughs> Satisfaction, you can have it. Pride in myself, you can have it. Status, you can have it. I just want you. Peter dissolved his business on the spot. Peter left his family on the spot because he experienced the one man, Jesus. The one man, Jesus. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.